Welcome to the Paradox of Life, the podcast where we ask the questions no one dares to ask. But everyone wants to know. We will open Pandora's box to show you a world where anything is possible. What you do with it is a choice we leave to you. We are your hosts, Monique and Colin. Welcome to the Paradox of Life. Welcome to the Paradox of Life. Today, we're asking a question that has me literally scratching my head. What if reality isn't real? How cool is that? <laughs> Monique, <laughs> do you want to start us off? <laughs> yes, I'm mixing the cards already because as last time, I want to see what Tarot has to say. Um, so I'm, I have a little bit of a suspicion what could come out, but let's see what it says. What if reality isn't real? It's a big question, isn't it? It is a big question because it calls everything into that why, like the question of why, the, the whole reason we're creating this podcast, you know? Yeah. And it's literally had me scratching my head thinking about all kinds of cool stuff like the matrix and oh, reality hallucinations and the hallucination inside of the brain of our thoughts and our perceptions and the vision of the world. It's like, it's all just a projection inside of here. Right. So, oh yeah. So it much is. good, so much good stuff comes up when I'm, when I'm thinking about this. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So we have the seven of pentacles. Let's see if that can, I think. Okay. So that's, I think it's a squirrel. Um, that we see here and you see some sunflowers and the pentacles pentacles is basically like coins in this in the tarot and um, the seven of pentacles st stands basically for um, reaping the fruit of your labor for a time of reflection and contemplation which is a great card to pull <laughs> for the question if reality is real and um, also to see um, a garden full of opportunities in front of you, basically. And, um, you know, to ask yourself a few questions like, are you committed to your goal? Or how does your situation benefit from your ongoing determination? What I see in this card right now is there is this squirrel looking basically like a human, dressed like a human, right? And we have this big sunflower in the back and everywhere they're sprouting new coins, basically from the field. And to me, it kind of is an image of this world because there, everything is new at every moment and nothing is the same all at once, if that makes sense, right? And um, there's new opportunities every single moment but when I look at it like what makes it real is how we determine where we put our focus what we put our attention on how we perceive these opportunities or whatever is around us and what we do with them in the end right so just because and I, I had this interesting conversation last weekend just because someone is not in your awareness doesn't mean it doesn't exist right now for me the question more is what well, i would love to start off with is as well what is reality 
because if you neuroscientifically look at how the brain works, we basically hallucinate most of the time, if not all of the times, because the brain creates reality in a way that's the most efficient, most likely to survive um, in this moment. And it means that it calculates based on experience and conditioning and beliefs and um, any types of uh, circumstances that the brain can fathom around us and then calculates what's the most likely successful move to make in terms of like taking action or not taking action. And so the question is, if that's how the brain works and that's how our reality forms that we perceive, is not everyone living a whole different reality anyways? Mm. So what you're suggesting there, based on the neuroscience, is that everybody's reality is unique to that individual then yeah. because all we see, hear, feel, taste, touch is just what's going on inside of here, isn't it? There's like a there's almost like a filter, a mechanism mm -hmm. that is screening everything. So what we I love that quote, what we focus on is what we see. So when mm -hmm. we shine our light of consciousness onto something, that's the thing that we see right now. I'm seeing a camera lens. I'm looking down a camera lens and that's what's reflected in the projector inside of my mind, which is mm -hmm. entirely unique to me in this very moment right now. Nobody else. Other people, are, I dare say, are staring at camera lenses right now as are you, Monique. But what I'm seeing inside of my brain is unique to the bio biological um meat suit or however you want to describe it that is my body right same for you yeah yeah absolutely and it's so interesting because when we look at the experience of twins for example then we can see and it's been proven by so many studies already that it doesn't matter if twins are born obviously same day same time and mostly same place, hopefully, <laughs> or maybe it's just like a few meters apart. But um, it it doesn't matter that they are twins, basically. It's already um, in their subconscious and depending on basically so many different factors like how genetics play out, because you can have so many of the same genetics like I think for twins it's like 98 percent or something like that but even though you have the same genetics doesn't mean those genetics express themselves in the same way right and um, a lot of people I think mistake how genes and genetics work right it's not that it's necessarily a specific imprint it's mostly that it's it's almost like a framework more or less but there's so much room how to work in this framework. And so for me, reality then, uh, the question is, if no one person shares the same reality with a different person, how do we even know what reality is and how does it look like, right? Mm. I can see me literally like losing what few hairs I've got on the top of my head by the end of this conversation. I'm scratching myself <laughs> like Stan Laurel here, aren't I? Ooh. 
<laughs> this is another fine mess you've gotten us into, Monique. <laughs> uh, most people won't know what that is. It's a reference to Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think, so what you're sharing and the card, the Seven of Pentacles, really, it reminded me of the quote by Heraclitus that we can never step into the same river twice, right? Because mm. we step into that river again, same place, same foot, exact same place. The riverbed has moved. The water that we stepped into the first time is now down and into the sea and back up into the clouds. Everything's changing. Everything's constantly evolving. The molecules in our body, the air that we breathe, we breathe in once, we breathe out, we breathe in again. We think we're doing the same thing. We're not. We're breathing entirely different molecules of air yeah. to what we breathed in last time. So I yeah. love the idea of what you shared when you shared about opportunities and ideas and things springing up all around us that's the true nature of of the reality in which we're existing right now in our in our bodies our consciousness and so it really brings up this idea of opportunity everywhere of different realities for everybody and i wonder is there an element of this where we where we share because you and I are sharing a conversation right now. And even mm -hmm. though we are entirely unique in how we see and what we see and what we perceive, there is a there is a shared experience when we commune with other people, don't you find? You know, so there's a there's an element of sharedness to the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think I think even though we all see things uniquely, which is wonderful, there is a, a shared element. And and that's where we get this idea of what becomes uh, perceived as the the collective like truth the truth mm -hmm. that we we see that we hear that we feel you know these things that are shared amongst us what do you think mm. i i personally feel like that we probably don't share as much as we think we do but we don't have the language to express that so because our language is fairly limited to you know even though for a lot of people maybe they they think like what do you talk about limited like we have hundreds of words to express feelings most of them by the way which uh, I don't know if people have looked it up yet um, I think 70 something like 70 percent of the words about feelings are negative feelings like feelings that we uh, I don't want to label feelings negative or positive but more so that we feel unpleasant are unpleasant feelings right and only the rest like of 30 percent or something is um feelings that we would express are pleasant feelings and so if I look at that then we definitely have shared experiences based on the limited language but like for me for example as an autistic person I can't even use a lot of the language because it doesn't make sense to me or it doesn't feel in that way right and so if I was going to share how I experienced this moment versus how you experienced this moment then there would be two totally different stories and I realized that a few years back when I talked with my family about old memories of things that happened in my life and I explained things that I experienced and they were fairly unpleasant. And then the first thing my sister says, like, 
Hat, what are you talking about? That didn't even happen. And I'm like, you were literally right next to me in this room. And then my mom would say like, oh no, this happened, but it was totally, completely different. Like not how you explain it. And my dad was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I'm like, how were four people in the same room with the same people had the same conversation and yet there were four different, not only memories because memory change over time, right? But like experiences and basically realities in that way. And so that's for me shows as well that it doesn't, it doesn't even matter necessarily if the point where I stand or where I perceive, receive from is the same. But I think the reason why we feel like we share things, and maybe that's the point of language as well, is literally because language is limited. If if there was a more um a more expansive way of sharing experiences, uh then I could like if if I could share sensations with you that you could feel, you know, like because TV, for example, can't mm -hmm. share sensations and smells and, and tastes and everything. We can hear, we can see, right? But we don't, maybe some special effects make the screen shake or something like this. But other than that, we, we basically only experience very two-dimensional in most of our world. And I feel like that's very similar on how we speak. It's very two-dimensional. There is not a lot of language for everything else that's going on. Like there's not a lot of language to express how I currently feel sitting in this chair, talking into this laptop while you're sitting on the other side of the world. But also I have this extreme bright light and I don't know what to do about it because I can't look into it. But it's also, it's just, I don't... You know, it's it's very difficult. I think um, I couldn't explain how my eyes feel, for example, right now, because there's no language for it. Like, it's not the burning, it's not the pressure, it's not like super bright. It's, there's a whole different level of experience that I seem to experience that there's literally no words for it. So I think our realities, that's like in, in this regard, is very two-dimensional. Yes, and I agree when you share about language being very limited, I think, because what we're talking about now, when you talk about sense and feelings and emotion and energy, we're talking about the invisible part of our existence, right? And mm. language, language by its very nature is linear. It just, I am Colin, I am sat here looking at the camera, talking into creating a podcast with Monique. And that 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 chain of linear words can never express the multidimensional element of of divinity of the mm. universal interconnectedness of all things it's just it's beyond words monique and similarly with our emotion our energy and things like that so i agree 100% there is a there is a limit to what we can explain with words mm. we could talk cuz cuz of the linear nature like that yeah. Then we could we could say word after word after word after word, <laughs> and it would never actually describe the sensation mm. that we that we're feeling. Wouldn't it be lovely what you shared there? Wouldn't it be lovely if we could actually share the experience of being in here, like 
you being in there, me being in here, like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying about the light shining in your eyes, Monique. I'm, I'm feeling that sense of excitement and anticipation, or I'm feeling that sense of like, you know, all, all the functions of being inside of that, that thing that we're inside of, you know, wouldn't that be cool? And I think it would actually bring reality a little bit closer to us because if we were able to share and experience with each other, first of all, I believe it would it would truly bring people together. I think language and the linear two-dimensional function of language is what actually separates us a lot um, from from understanding each other and from understand because it's it's also a matter of again bringing it back into the reality part how you for yourself understand that certain language just because we speak english doesn't mean that you understand english in the way that i understand english if that makes sense so there are words that we may use that um you have a different meaning or definition attached than I have. And that may be explained because I'm non-native English. So for me, I have learned English as a second language. I use usually chromatics pretty well. I I uh, don't like when people uh, mix up they, their, and their, but I understand how this happens. And yet the thing is though that I use English words differently than I would than maybe an English native speaker would because I choose them based on how I would express myself in my native language which is German I have much more precise words in German uh, we have a wider range of expressions and like we basically create words out of everything so there is a word for everything we don't have to say sentences to explain something. There is a word for it, right? And so sometimes I still have the habit to try and do the same thing in English, even if it's not possible, um, even if there wasn't a word. And so basically the way that I would describe things is probably fairly different from how you would describe it. And someone maybe from Japan who learns English and describes it also based on how our conditioning was, how we grew up. You know, all of the things like tea for you, right, is an English breakfast tea with milk, isn't it? Mm, it is. Yeah. yeah. If I think about tea now, it more or less means like green tea or herbal tea. But as a child, it would be like peppermint tea or chamomile tea, because that's very common in Germany. Right. But also, if I think about tea now, I sometimes think about the bubble teas because I live in Asia and bubble teas on every corner and usually I drink iced tea here a lot so you know and someone in Japan would maybe think about matcha tea and all the sencha green teas that they have all of this fantastic tea that they actually grow and so just because we say tea doesn't mean we all mean the same tea also there's so many different teas definitely but um, you know <laughs> yeah let me um let me just bake your noodle even more so in i'm from the north of england and in the north of england when we say tea we mean dinner right so breakfast lunch dinner we use the word tea to say i'm having my tea like i'm gonna have tea what are we having okay. for tea so we say like what are we having for tea tonight that's a common phrase it's like 
that's you know what we're having for dinner like our evening meal like and we call that like common northerning northern uk folk like me we say what we having for tea right so tea takes on a whole so different meaning then doesn't it yeah yeah mm -hmm. i love it now when we take some of those things are different yeah go ahead yeah i was just gonna say some of those things are shared aren't they so if i say to you what we having for tea tonight monique you'll be like what we having for tea that's like green tea you know herbal tea what what's colin even talking about but if i say that to somebody around where i live it's like oh we're going to go to the chippy we're going to go to a restaurant yeah. you know it's like um yeah. so it's under it's understood isn't it and i think there's a there's a difference between the the sharedness of language and then what's actually understood at the bottom below that mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and I guess that's where like conditioning and uh all of these things come in, right? Yeah, yeah, what we remember, what we attach to stuff, how we see stuff. Mm. I wonder, you know, it was interesting when you mentioned about the experience as a child that your sister seen differently, your mother seen differently completely again. Like for me on my journey, I don't know about you, appreciating that we just have this very tiny very focused light of consciousness it's like a like a laser beam almost right and we just see a very tiny part of what is a huge vast plane of existence right and so appreciating that we're just seeing a little part of it and it's much bigger than we can ever see no matter how wide we try and make that laser beam if we if we work on ourselves and we widen the beam we're still only seeing a fraction of what reality actually is right yeah. And when you were sharing, it reminded me of that, that thing with the, that saying with the blind men and the elephant. Have you heard that? So there's like no. the three blind men are um, brought to, to touch an elephant. And then they, they're asked to describe what their experience. So one man mm. says, oh, he touches the ears and he describes it as like a, a big, almost like a blanket, like leathery blanket. So he describes an, his, his experience is an elephant is a leathery blanket. Another guy grabs a tail and he's like, oh, it's like a it's like a rope. It's like um, a, a swishy rope, you know. And then another guy's on the side. and It's like a wall. It's like a brick wall. It's just like holding the side of the elephant. And so each one of those. Each one of those realities is no less real, but yeah. it's just a laser focused picture of what their consciousness sees and mm. perceives and understands you know doesn't make the elephant any less real but actually the individual perception and understanding is tiny and i guess the point in that is appreciating and understanding that you don't know it all you might think you've got a comprehensive experience of what's going on in the world but actually you're just holding the elephant's ear right now and the elephant is infinitely bigger than you can ever perceive and imagine and and so for, on my personal journey the whole point of this was literally just like the realization of oh just i'm just seeing a little bit i'm not seeing all mm. of it i'm just seeing a tiny tiny bit of what reality is and just like the awe and the wonder of that like oh that that did make a big shift for me yeah and that comes back to the very beginning where we said just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not there mm. and so i think that's maybe where the key lies to also how we experience our reality to 
intentionally shift your awareness. So you can focus on specific things and get more of that, or you can shift it, right? But also, if you don't have something in your life that you do want to have, you can just make yourself aware of, aware of it, that it's already available and in your life. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So you again, what we focus on is what we see, right? So if we bring mm. into consciousness the things that maybe don't exist in our reality right now, but we want them to, mm -hmm. then that's what you're saying, right? So focusing on those things yeah. is what brings those things towards us in a sense. We're touching on the uh, universal law of attraction a little here, aren't we? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Mm. And I was, I was going to go to another lens of this whole conversation too, because there's like a, I don't know how old this conversation is, but I guess it's pretty old already um, that we're living in a simulation, right? And how this looks like. So what if we, what if our reality isn't real because we're living in a simulation and there's someone or something or a computer or whatever simulating our experience if we go down this rabbit hole then first of all <laughs> it's so funny because i think um humans are not made to actually experience the unlimitedness unlimitedness is that the word mm -hmm. um of our universe basically right Yep. So if you just imagine all the galaxies out there with all of the stars, we would not be able to put a number on it. And then we don't even know how many galaxies are out there, how many stars and planets are out there. Um, we have literally no idea. We're just one single tiny planet that somehow made it to create life. <laughs> Here we are. But the crazy thing is to think about like, Basically, it's possible that there's new. New galaxy that we are not capable of. Grasping this unlimited experience, if that makes sense. And so. I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to think about what if we lived in a simulation, a simulation and who simulates that and why and when did it start? Because wouldn't then technology have already been created to simulate who we are like millions of years ago? And why did we go through this whole process again? And like, there's basically so many questions, but I kind of wanted to throw it out because it's a different conversation to this whole reality thing, right? And I just wanted to see which rabbit hole we go down there. <laughs> so I, I love where you're going with it. And it, I'm a huge Matrix fan, right? One of my favorite films of all time, The Matrix. And I think it's, it's, it reminds me of Morpheus when he says, you're living in a dream world, Neo, right? The idea that we are all adrift inside of something that isn't real in our own heads, right? We're not, we're not awake. We're not conscious. We're not aware of our consciousness, of our existence, of ourselves. All, all of us naturally, we just drift like 
almost like zombies in a sense, like the the mm. walking dead in our lives. And and for me, my interpretation of the simulation is not necessarily that we're physically plugged in to a matrix as such, right? Or that we're experiencing a simulation, but that we live in a reality that isn't real. We live in a simulation in effect, but a simulation that we we keep ourselves inside of with our own lack of awareness, lack of consciousness and lack of perception. What are your thoughts? Mm. I mean, I could go all the way into the systems of this world now, which probably are a simulation by themselves. <laughs> Oh, where do I take this conversation? Uh, yeah, because then you I go into that... the level of control and like the system of control that yeah. keeps that keeps us that keeps us in that zombified state of being asleep, yeah. not actually being awake, not actually being aware of that light of consciousness. That's yeah. to me what the simulation means, Monique. And and mm. the system, the 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 system that exists in the plane of the material world, right? Yeah. Is one that 100% is driven to keep you asleep, to literally right. keep you asleep, brainwashing you with this, brainwashing you with that. Um, I, I lost count of the amount of news yeah, things that reporting about this reality TV show that's blowing up in the UK right now. And it's like, it's oh, on it's nation, national TV. National right. TV is, re is spending 20 minutes talking about a, a game show, like a game. Like, it's like, <laughs> and, and for me, it's uh, the, the Monty Python guys had it spot on when they said it's the opiate, like the opiate of the masses. And it's literally mm. keeping them, keeping everybody asleep. That's how I see it. How about you? Yeah, no, I totally agree. The, I think the question that comes with it then is, so who runs the system or the simulation, right? Because do we know when this whole thing started? And if though, can we trace it back to a certain person or a group of people or whatever? And then if we live in a simulation like this, actually, there will be a group of people who are not submit to this system, who are the ones controlling the proper establishment of the system. So who is who and what is what and how did we end up in the simulation, not outside of it? And so how, why can't we, or can we, busted what what that what that really brings to mind is the the concepts of the crabs in the bucket right and covid was yes. a great example of this the vaccination in covid or, or, or mm -hmm. the war right going to war in the 1930s mm -hmm. there was a there was an an element of if you chose not to go to war in the 30s then the people around you in your community, your friends, your families would ostracize you and deliver a white feather at best, right? Deliver a white feather to, as a sign that you were a coward, that you didn't stand up for your country and all of this, right? When fast forward now to 2020, when we had the COVID pandemic, a similar thing happened with the vaccine. So if you didn't have the vaccine, you would be ostracized and like, you know, almost side uh, sidelined a little in society because you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. We had a thing in the UK where at 
a certain time on a certain day, everybody would go to their front doors during the during the lockdown and clap for the National Health Service, for the medical professionals working on the front line, the battlefield of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that to me, these are all elements of the crabs in the bucket. So if we, yeah. if and this is where I think the system almost becomes self-policing in a sense, because the minute the crab tries to climb out of the bucket, the other crabs reach up and bring it back down. You know, there doesn't need to be a lid on the bucket because it almost yeah. self-polices itself. And I think that's where this whole thing is just perpetuated. It's perpetuated. I don't know mm. what it's like in Germany, but in the UK, like oh. we have people we have people who like who rise up out of the bucket. And what happens from a political element? So people have things to say politically and they get the ear of the masses so people are on side and have a buy-in to the things that they're saying they make enough noise the system kind of absorbs them they become a baroness they become a lord you know they become they become part of the fabric of the system and i think there's different ways that the system kind of self-heals one of them is the crabs grabbing the other crabs down to stop them rising and also the system absorbing they're making a little bit too much noise against the establishment here. Let's like, you know, let's absorb them. Let's bring them in. Let's make them safe again. You know? Mm. It's interesting because I feel like the system is so well designed. And I'm saying this with like, you know, (laughs) with caution. I don't mean well in a, good way I mean well designed as in like it works so well that I feel like no matter how much anyone tries you would end up in the system anyways again you just can't leave it and the what it does is it creates those distractions that we see everywhere vaccinations and COVID was absolutely just a distraction and it doesn't look I don't mind whether you're vaccinated or not you do you and you have your health uh, to care about and whatever and if it's something for you take it and if not don't take it what I think is a problem in the system that is created by the system to look like we're doing something against the system only though to absorb it again is exactly those like many separate well many maybe not but the separations that are caused by those things that you know it's funny that you say that the people who didn't get vaccinated were so ostracized by society or like even I mean of course they couldn't go to some restaurants or these or that for a long time right um in Germany (laughs) my parents told me you had to get a proof of vaccination if you wanted to go to a restaurant I'm like yeah, yeah, I'm same no, in the no, UK. I'm gonna cook. Yeah, same in the UK. And so the thing though is that the other way around work the same way. Like depending in what community you would be or in what world or reality you would be around. Like I had people on my online network that were so extremely ostracizing against people who chose to be vaccinated and would literally like they would tear the hell out of them uh for choosing 
and you know they they would even go that far to say like I don't want to be around those people anymore because I would absorb these things through you and I'm like well that sounds a little far off <laughs> um I mean I understand how all of this works and I'm I'm sure like but uh I haven't seen vaccinations been contagious yet or maybe if that's virus but look I'm not I'm not in the medical field, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm surely wrong about some of the things. But what I've just seen is that it got to the point where people literally fought to the core of their being and identity. And when when the reality you live in becomes your identity, I think then we have a problem. Because if you identify with everything in your life as this is who you are, then you're not willing to wake up to a different version of what is possible out there in order to change your mind, to change your beliefs, to see what else is out there. And again, no single person knows the truth, no one. And I also don't believe that the collective truth is everything that we ever will know. It's, as you said, it's a part of you know the laser light that we shine on. And the more conscious the collective will be, yes, the more awareness we will have around things. But again, I believe that those are distractions and maybe even designed by the system, I don't know. Um, but I guess if I was thinking about simulation as a computer game or something like this, some people explain it like this, right? Like a computer game that makes total sense too <laughs> because you can't win a computer game um when all together i mean you can wait other way around you can win the computer game if everyone's fighting for the same thing but that's exactly the thing you do, they don't want us to win this game so they're basically getting us against each other right mm. and I heard this, okay, here's this thing. I heard about this game um, on a recent interview. And I don't know, do you know the werewolves game? I don't know that game, no. The werewolves and the villagers. Okay, so this is this is basically like a psychological game that's that's used to, to just test like emotional intelligence, like a few other things, but here's how it goes. There's a group of people, <clears throat> and let's just say they're on a camping trip or whatever. They're they're isolated a little bit, right? So they can't just leave the group. There's a group of people, and they're given cards. And of 20 people, two of them get a werewolf card, and the rest are villagers. Um, and so this game is played that no one knows who's whom. And at night, everyone is supposed to close the eyes and basically lock up. And only the werewolves at the command are supposed to open the eyes and then silently connect with each other and choose one person from the villagers to, to kill. And then that happens within a few seconds or whatever. And then the next morning, everyone wakes up and this person was chosen and it's the person's dead now because it was killed by the rebels. But the whole group 
no one knows who the werewolves are, right? So in the evening, they're supposed to come together and discuss who could be the werewolves, who could be doing such a thing, and why would they choose this person and all the things. So it goes that far that people are then starting to obviously like get against each other, hate on each other, however, right? And so the goal of the game is that the villagers should find out who the werewolves are and kill them. Or when the werewolves kill all villagers before they can find out who they are, the rebels win. Now, mind you, again, it's like two to 18, so or like one very small number against a bigger one. And so they say that this game shows that every single time an informed minority will always win against the uninformed majority. And so if we project it to society, this game, we're playing rebels and the villagers, but we have no freaking idea who the rebels are, basically the creators of the system. And they're in such minority, and they're so informed of how the system runs, who runs it, who is included in whatever circle they want to call it. And even the people we think could be werewolves aren't. They're also villagers, but they are the puppet masters of the werewolves, basically, right? And yeah. they're being made to uh, look like they could be rebels, but um, they're just targets for us. And so it it works so well because the masses are uninformed, still not awake, and they can't see how the system or simulation or both of it works. So once the masses can get a united understanding of how this works and how to work against it, which is the only way is the united way, is union. The only way to work against the system is in a united way, really. And if we would need to stop separating, we would need to stop the hate, and we, we would need to find a common ground. It doesn't mean that you need to love everyone or uh, accept everyone or, well, accept acceptance would be great. <laughs> but I mean, um, you don't have to agree with everyone. But you just need to be willing to respect everyone enough in order to go after this one mission. The one mission should be take down a system. But instead, we go out and cry about vaccinations. And instead, we cry out about uh, some... Uh, online marketing guru who did a wrestling thing with his son like uh, in the wind there wrongly or however and we cry about uh, taxes and uh, wars that no one cares about after two weeks anyways but uh, our fuel is getting more expensive oh my goodness and like you know all of these things and all of that is getting us further and further into the system Mm. I love how you shared about the werewolves and villagers game, because that essentially is what I was talking about that was dominating the national news in the UK right now over this game mm -hmm. show called Traitors. It's basically a, a game show version of werewolves and villagers. It's the same thing. Oh. We used to play a party game where one person, we call it Killer Winker, right? We all sit around in a circle. One person is the the killer and another person is a detective and everybody else is just an innocent person in the room. And then the killer like winks, like 
winks at one of their people and they have to pretend to die like and the detective has to figure out who the who the killer is reminded me of that it's very similar but the the concept of how society works in that sense it's so accurate the werewolves and villagers and and when we just talk about the crabs in the bucket the instruments of the system police the judiciary the legal system all of that they're just instruments of the the, the the those that actually are in that place of control you know who are unseen mm. and unknown and so without even realizing it we become the instruments we become the crabs grabbing the other people back down and keeping the system as it is we're not necessarily the werewolves we're the villagers in that sense aren't we i think that's yeah I think that's fascinating it's such an accurate reality and and yeah again returning to that cl- cloud that fog of distraction around all, all of the things that exist in our lives what's the key is it is it consciousness is it working on our ourselves is it working on where we focus our time and attention what what do you see as the answer monique i'm curious um i feel like the uh and i had different conversations recently about it not in relation to reality itself, but just about systems, because you know how much I'm a systems freak. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I believe that the only way we can get out of the system is when we learn the system in and out and play it with the system. And so what I mean by it is, and it's, it's something that's very difficult for people to grasp, and to understand, let alone wanting to do it. Because a lot of people have, they have this morality sense of, oh, but what they're doing is wrong. So if I do it, then I'm not any better than them. But but no one is superior or inferior anyways. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. But they, the more they keep doing it, the more they uh, become fake superior and they can play you. So we need to basically use the system and the way it works and the way it's set up against itself right and so what would be a example so um i guess one way how people are trying to do this right now is when they're going on social media and they use cancer culture in order to uh, regulate something right the issue I see with this is that that most people then choose the like very irrelevant uh, topics or people or or behavior to focus on and and call out or cancel or whatever. Um, and because it's so such a wide variety of like topics and. Um, the things that people don't like it's and the problem is also that people usually cancel others or behavior or whatever because they don't like it but it's not about what you like or what what you don't like it's about what works for the society in terms of the good for all or not and that means you we also got to accept there will be a lot of things that we just don't like how it works but this is what it is right um, so just because we don't like something doesn't mean we need to cancel it. But if we would come together more 
in masses and create momentum to focus on one single thing. If we wouldn't just be all over the place with, and again, I don't see how a online marketing guru who has done a mistake on the wrestling mat as a coach is something to focus on, to be very honest. It's, it's another distraction. People outside of the online marketing space don't even know who the hell this guy is. And um, it's nothing that we need to focus on. It takes away from the energy and the capacity and our um, awareness and the focus and attention intention that we have to be able to address the actually root causes of the system. <laughs> and so, again, we keep stuck in this like hamster wheel. Um, so I really think if we would be able to get really like laser focused even more with our awareness and our intention of what we want to change, not necessarily how, because I don't think that's, that's necessarily something that we can answer yet, but it's more, what do we want to change and why? And then focus so much on that as a collective, you know? Have you ever read the book Contagious by, um, oh, I forgot his name. Um, Contagious, no? no? Let me see um, if I can find it. Uh, Jonah Berger. Mm, no it's not one i've read that um it's a great book that explains how movements are created and he says that if only one percent of the uh, society that's supposed to be impacted basically would come together and focus on the same thing they would create momentum and it would spread out really fast so for example in a one million uh inhabitant town or city or whatever you would then need my goodness now i'm doing math here <laughs> so where's the calculator <laughs> i was thinking like all right it's it's too late for me to try to do math here we understand um, i understand the, well, let me one percent of those two percent of those see. <laughs> so I think it would be um, 100,000 people is 1%, I wouldn't say. Um, if I'm wrong, please just don't mind and and calculate your own 1% of 1 million. It's just an example. <laughs> it's so... whatever you think it is. It's whatever you think it is. It's all good. Yeah. Um, and so the, the 100,000, sorry, 10, no, 100,000. We said 1 million, right? Hmm. So 10% is 100,000, 10% is 10,000. Yeah. So 10,000 people. Yeah. So if only 10,000 people of 1 million is are coming together for the same issue, addressing it in the same way, with the same intention, basically the outcome to eliminate the issue. And it doesn't matter how, because that's where most people get stuck then I think we can change the system one issue at a time and we create a new system because then we are having more craps getting out of the bucket. But we can't have, like, it's going to be impossible to have all the craps leaving the bucket. <laughs> but we can have one when all the others are distracted and the, the crap can just, like, jump and hide. And so... <laughs> 
those are the ones that we want to create. We want to create like those grab movements that are very focused, I think. So I don't know, was that the answer you were looking for? Yeah, it is. And I think it it's really, as I understand it, just connecting to that that thing that you mentioned about focusing our attention and intention onto the thing that we're looking to achieve and then finding shared values and people that share that same intention, that same purpose. For me, in, in my world of coaching, it's all about the, the why, like the why are we doing this? The how really is none of our business right now. It's more about the, the thing that we're looking to do. What is that movement, that change that we're looking to affect? as the mm. small group of one or 10 or 10,000, you know, and, and then when we come together working towards that shared thing, then that's, that's really, that's really how we create meaningful change in a mm. world where we're all to a degree, we're all puppeted. We're all um, like kept half asleep most of the time. And, and I think it just comes back to what you said, Monique, about that, that, that um, intentional attention and working mm. on consciousness of self, working on firstly waking up to the fact that we only see a tiny part of reality. And then secondly, working on what we do see and what we can appreciate and understand and comprehend to help us and others see bit better, see bigger, see different parts, you know? And yeah. that's, that's the journey we're all on, you know? Whether we like it or yeah. not, whether we realize it or not, we're all on that same journey. Totally agree. So what do you think is one thing people can do right now when they want to change their reality? Oh, what a beautiful question. And I would suggest looking at the elephant mm. and looking at the elephant analogy to actually become aware because you don't know that you don't know. None of us know that we know. This is why coaching therapy are such big industries because we need somebody out there to look inside of here and say hey you're just touching the elephant's ear there colin you know it's got a giant body and a big tail and even a trunk that has all of these senses and muscles in it so i yeah. think i think i would suggest or invite you really to look at the elephant and and to appreciate the very narrow nature of what it is that we're seeing in our reality and just by doing that I think that aha, that that light bulb of of realization mm. will, will start to be triggered. How about you? Yeah, I love that. I think very similar, but I would ask the question, like, what do I want more of in my reality or what do I think is missing? And then make a conscious effort to shine the awareness on where you actually have that in your life already. So if you're looking let's just say for more abundance, may it be money or whatever, look around you and see what you already have a lot of, even if you don't think that's a pleasant thing. <laughs> so if you have a lot of mosquitoes, well, it's still abundance. Um, so I don't know, like take the exercise of consciously looking for the things that you think you don't have in your life and finding them in the things that you may not um, realize where it is. So I think similar to the elephant, but in a different exercise, I guess. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And 
bring in bring in gentle acceptance love compassion and a sense of gratitude for what is a gratitude mm. for the reality because the reality is made up in this projector in our brain according to the things that we've experienced and seen and felt and heard and and had in our lives and been conditioned around by the by the game the simulation that we've talked about yeah. today and so we have I think a choice the reality is that there is no one reality right <laughs> exactly so i think the first step is in realizing that and when we realize that we can begin to question and take a true honest candid look at what's going on and then begin to say well what if it was different what if what if i didn't see um michael singer talks about rattlesnakes and butterflies right so you see a butterfly yeah. you go oh a butterfly you see a rattlesnake you go oh no a rattlesnake right and you have this what if i didn't see a rattlesnake what if i seen a rattlesnake oh how lovely and then you begin to rewire and change what's going on inside so that the world all of a sudden becomes different and gandhi says mm -hmm. be the change that you'd like to see in the world or rather mm -hmm. um, when we change the tendencies of those around us change so actually this is where we can truly create the reality that we want to create you know yeah i do love snakes so the way i react to snakes is not definitely not like that <laughs> so, that, so how do we, reality. if we have a fear reaction to a snake how do we how do we rewire that so we see the snake as a butterfly and we're like oh look a snake right for some people that's natural for most people it's not it's like this instant yeah. because we've been programmed you know rattlesnake's gonna bite you it's gonna sting you're gonna die like, <laughs> uh, well so at I least think, you can hear it before you yes, see you it can. I guess yes you can <laughs> but then even the even the sound that sound would have some people like up like this wouldn't it and tight and tense so i guess uh yeah i think you know what it just comes back to questioning everything doesn't it like we started yeah. at the very beginning questioning everything, everything leaving nothing leaving nothing um without question without inquis inquisition monique that's right just keep questioning mm, beautiful well thank you so much that was a a delightful conversation as always. I loved it. All the rabbit the holes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So many more rabbit holes to come. So many more yeah. rabbit holes to come. And if anyone in the audience has a question for us that you think we should discuss, please send them over to us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. What a delightful conversation. I am super excited for our next one. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Paradox of Life. We are Monique and Colin, guiding you on the journey to discover your truth. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs to hear it. Let's embrace this journey together, investigating norms, challenging our perceptions, and questioning everything. Remember... Asking tough questions is how we find real answers. It's how we get to know ourselves and connect with others. Stay curious, keep questioning, and together let's uncover the truths that make life worth living.